Hi, I'm Ryan Miner. I'm the host of a Minor Detail podcast where it's all about Maryland. We have a no-holds-barred conversation featuring Maryland newsmakers and newsbreakers, journalists, reporters, politicos, politicians, policy wonks, prognosticators, political activists, organizers, community leaders, and so many more. Man, that's a lot of peace. Here on a Minor Detail podcast, we get to the bottom of every story. We talk about news and politics in an open and honest format. And we find the minor details because every detail matters. You can follow us on the web at a aminordetailpodcast.com and aminordetail.com for the latest Maryland news and politics. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to a Minor Detail podcast. My name is Ryan Miner. Thank you for tuning in on Sunday, August the 25th. Tonight I have a special guest. We're talking about the soon-to-be-vacant District 42A legislative seat. And last week we learned that State Delegate Steve Lafferty of Baltimore's District 42A was going to be soon exiting that seat for a job in County Executive, that is Baltimore County Executive, Johnny Osheski's administration. And tonight I have with me Henry Caligari, who is a candidate who is going to submit his name to the Baltimore County Democratic Central Committee to seek that seat, to seek that legislative vacancy, which subsequently the Central Committee will then appoint him to that seat. And uh, before that happens, Henry's going to talk to me. And before that happens, there's probably going to be maybe some other candidates that have come out. But um, since Henry is the first out the gate, I wanted to ask him to come on and, and share some thoughts and talk a little bit about his district, his background, and what he would hope to accomplish if he is appointed by the Baltimore County Democratic Central Committee. And last week, I had Carl Jackson on, who is applying for the District 8 seat. So this kind of runs in sync with one another. It's a it's a good opportunity to talk to the candidates. And when during the summer, there's not a whole lot of news happening. I have the opportunity to uh, to make some news, perhaps, and maybe we'll make some news with this interview. And thanks again for tuning into a Minor Detail podcast. You can find me on the web at a minor detail com. I'm going to go ahead and introduce Henry Caligari. Henry, how I, you know, the last time I think I saw you was maybe at Jimmy's, which I was there last night with my with my, with my wife and two of my friends. We uh, we were at a, an event for the Comptroller. Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit over a month ago. And Ryan, I want to thank you first off for having me on. Uh, it's a great opportunity to talk about why I'm applying and to hopefully answer some important questions about my policy views and why I'm jumping in this thing. <laughs> Henry, well, you know what? It's, it's, it's not easy to put your name out there. It's not easy to run for office, but anyone who does it and comes on and have a conversation, I give them a lot of credit. So I appreciate you coming on Sunday evening and spending some time with minor detail podcast. Henry, I think we first met last year, I believe it may have been at Tall's or the after party at Tall's. I think that it was when Lynn Foxwell and I did, one of our first shows together, and we met down in Cambridge at, uh, of yeah. course, right there on the water, and you had stopped by, 
and I, I had an opportunity to talk to you. And that's where I really started to get to know you and to learn a little bit about you as uh, a person, your background, your professional career. So, Henry, tonight, maybe there's some people who are listening who don't know who you are, and they hear this, this really nice Italian last name, Caligari. Like, <laughs> how could you uh, – that's, that's just such a beautiful Baltimore uh, uh, Italian last name. So I'm assuming you are Italian. Otherwise, maybe I'm a, a little bit crazy here. Yeah, I'm a little bit Italian, a little bit French, a little bit uh, Jewish immigrants from Russia and Romania. I'm a little bit of everything, which I think is pretty – uh, pretty typical for for people in America, but also you know yeah you said Baltimore. Uh, my my ancestors the Caligaris came to Baltimore just about a hundred years ago, so it is definitely a Baltimore family. And uh, I I grew up in the city and love Baltimore City and love Baltimore County and just a really unique place to to live. Henry, when you grew up in Baltimore City, what what part of the city specifically did you grow up in? Do you have any attachment? to the little Italy section, which is probably my favorite port, my favorite part of Baltimore city. I, I wish I did. I grew up in Northeast Baltimore city, just outside of Hamilton. So uh, very much sort of Baltimore, Baltimore, not necessarily Guilford, Roland park, or like you said, little Italy, which are all wonderful neighborhoods. But yeah, I think part of the reason why I'm interested in applying to be a member of the house of delegates is to help address not only the challenges that we face in Baltimore County, but also those that we face in Baltimore City, which I saw growing up firsthand and struck me as just challenges that require very bold and, and new solutions. Baltimore City, born and bred, Henry Caligari on a Minor Detail podcast tonight talking about District 42A's legislative vacancy. He's going to submit an application. But, Henry, we know that the process unfolds that you have to talk to the Central Committee. They are now in charge of the appointment process, and then Governor Hogan ultimately has the say, Whoever's typically whoever they forward to the governor, the governor will make that appointment. So during the application process, you have to talk about your background. You have to talk about your career. So let's begin there on this interview. For those who are listening, Henry, tell people a little bit about you. You said you grew up in Baltimore City, but then tell us how your your career progressed. Talk about your education and then what you are what you're doing today. Yeah, Ryan. So I grew up in the city and uh, went to college in New England. Came back to attend University of Maryland Law School and uh, graduated a few years ago. And now I'm an attorney in Baltimore County. I'm also president of the Baltimore County Young Democrats, which is a very exciting position and part of an organization that's doing a lot of things in the county to really try to get more young people involved in the political process at all levels. And it's been really an honor to take on that role, and especially in 2018 where we uh, helped elect County Executive Olszewski. I was proud to say that in a personal role, I was a supporter of his from very early on and, and uh, knocked doors for him with Delegate Lafferty and Towson back when nobody thought he had a shot, but I think he just has done an excellent job and, and kind of proven why he, he was supported by so many good people. Uh, I'm also president of the Campus Hills Community Association, which is a neighborhood in northern Towson and one that my wife and I live in, and it's a beautiful community, and I've really been uh, – it's been a great experience working with the neighborhood to – 
advocate with county government on issues like what we face, transportation issues in our ca- or our uh, neighborhood uh, with street repaving and something as simple as that or education, which is a very serious issue, working with the Towson Communities Alliance, with other neighborhood associations. It's been very rewarding work. So, yeah, I, I'm proud to say that uh, right now I feel like I'm wearing a lot of different hats, but they're all jobs that I really enjoy and take very seriously. And I, I'd like to add delegate to that list and continue my work on behalf of uh, our community here in, in Towson. Henry, you went to the College of Holy Cross, and then you said you came back to your roots in Maryland. You attended the University of Maryland Francis King Carey School of Law, which many famous Marylanders have attended, including, I believe, Martin O'Malley, former governor. I think he was a think so. on the, of, of there. I think and so. your, your list of political experience is far-ranging, and I'm just looking between that and your legal experience – you were a legislative intern for the uh, the great Senator Barbara A. Mikulski, and back in 2011, you were a legislative intern for Congressman John Sarbanes. And look at that. You volunteered for Elizabeth Warren for Senate, member, you know, of course, back in her 2012 race. And I believe that was the race where she beat um, the guy that was ultimately got the seat for Ted Kennedy, the Republican. She, um, yeah, Scott Brown. Scott Brown, who then decided to 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 trail on over to New Hampshire and run for a U.S. Senate seat. I believe that was in 2014. He did that. So you've also been a House Budget Committee uh, intern. You've done a lot of work. You were a summer law clerk for uh, Maryland's Attorney General. Legislative intern for uh, Maryland's Attorney General Brian Frosch, and you were a summer law clerk for uh, a U.S. attorney. Henry, was law always the uh, the chosen path for you? Was that always in your deck of cards since you were a young man looking to to figure out what kind of career you wanted to do? You know, Ryan, it, it really wasn't right off the bat. I remember, like I said, growing up in Baltimore and seeing the challenges that the community was facing. And what I really wanted to do was to go into a career where I could have an impact in helping people and working with communities and different groups, whether it was the government or NGOs, to affect positive change in the communities that that I lived in. And what I've been able to do as an attorney is kind of through law school acquire some of the the skills to better do that. And I hope that I've been able to take some of those skills and apply them in positions like community association president or with the young Democrats. And uh, so for me, law was more the result of wanting to be able to advocate for people. And it ended up being that's one of the better ways to do it. Uh, and, and I've really enjoyed it so far. You know, it's, it's not a profession without its flaws, certainly, but it's one which definitely it gives you an opportunity unlike any other to be an advocate. Practicing law, of course, is something that is fundamental to many people who get into the career of law. That there, there is some sort of aching to give back to a community. Maybe there's a, a social justice issue. Maybe – it's wanting to defend people who otherwise wouldn't have 
uh, access to uh, an, uh, an equitable defense. Maybe it's to 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 right some injustice that occurred in our on our system or to improve upon some of the systematic injustices inside our criminal justice system. Henry, what was your, you know, what was, you mentioned earlier that you, you wanted to give back and through the law, I think there's an opportunity, most definitely an opportunity to do that. So what was that? What was the drive for you to, to jump into a career in law? Sure. I think specifically in my experience with the attorney general's office, specifically with the consumer protection division, really was about, again, helping people who otherwise wouldn't have a voice in the process. I think very often in politics and in law, people with the bigger pocketbooks tend to dominate. And I think that just goes directly against what our nation's principles were founded upon, which is that basic fairness and basic opportunity for all. And when people don't have a voice in the process, and it was the attorney general's office with Attorney General Frosch, he's been an incredibly strong advocate, I believe, for people who otherwise wouldn't have a voice, You know, people who can't afford expensive attorneys. And I work in private practice now, but that principle of everybody gets a fair shot under the law is what really motivates me in my work right now. And it's one thing that's motivated me to jump into this race is a Delegate Lafferty for a dozen years has been an incredibly effective and strong advocate for the people of Baltimore County and the people of Maryland at large to ensure that we have a state and a state government that works for everyone and not just for those who are well-connected. Of course, a career in law, and as you be, you've had experience working with uh, as a, as a judicial, excuse me, a judicial law clerk. Now you're in private practice as an associate attorney for Husband Jones and Miles in Hunt Valley. But of course, a career in law certainly enables one to better understand how the law is made at the state level. Now, some people might gripe and groan to say, "Oh no, another another attorney in the Maryland General Assembly." But with I think that attorneys do have a special skill set in that they understand how the application of the law is applied, how it's made and created, who, to whom it affects. And I think that gives you some valuable insight into how our state laws are made, how they're executed, and where you – where and how the law would dictate what kind of society Maryland wants to be in the future. Henry, tell me a little bit about – your private practice is it a general practice um is it criminal law what what kind of practice are you doing now we're a general practice which and i describe it to some of my my friends is kind of an old school law firm in a good way in that we're the kind of firm where if people want to come in and just need representation we can bring that to the table we're not the kind of firm which we're not a large firm we're a small firm three attorneys and I like to think we do great work, uh, do a variety of cases. And again, the, the, being a small law firm also, Ryan, what I've got to experience is the perspective of the small business side of things. And again, being a small firm, we don't have the luxury of kind of having the massive list of clients that the larger firms do. And so for us, every month is, is a matter of bringing in clients and doing good work and, and delivering results or else we're going to be in trouble. And 
the firm has been around for a very, very long time, but for the same token, uh, I, I have a newfound respect for what small business owners have to go through in seeing balancing costs with making sure that you still deliver a high product to your clients and, and understanding how the impact of things like the cost of health insurance, uh, how that has a huge impact on the business side of things, even though it in kind of a direct sense has nothing to do with the business itself. So I, I definitely have a, it's given me a profound respect for the challenges that small business owners in Maryland face. Henry, in addition to your work at a law firm, you are the president of the Baltimore County Young Democrats, a task that, of course, has reward, but you've spent a lot of work building the apparatus inside of the party structure. Tell me a little bit about your work with the Baltimore County Young Democrats and what you've been doing since November of 2017 when you first took over that role. Yeah, it was exciting, an exciting time because – Right around when I took over, it was the 2018 race really gearing up for governor, for county executive, for the legislative seats. And our focus was really on Baltimore County and on ensuring that we elected Democrats who would share the values of the younger generation. And, of course, young people have a wide variety of views, but there are a few issues that I think we all are pretty – or at least a strong majority of young people agree on. And those are issues like protecting our environment and fighting climate change, issues like addressing the cost of health insurance, issues like making sure we have strong public schools because we're not just college students and recent grads. I I have a wife and we live in Towson. And so very much a factor in why we decided to move here was the quality of the public schools and young professionals and young parents all around the county and all around the state are making those same decisions. So uh, quality public education is a huge issue, the cost of higher education. So all those issues we really focused on helping candidates who reflected and understood the concerns of younger people. And Johnny Olszewski was on a personal level, an obvious choice. He's a young, a young father himself and someone who really has a lot in common with the millennial generation. And for that reason, it was a natural fit to support him, and I was thrilled when he won the primary, and then our organization went to work for him in the general election. And, of course, Johnny Oshevsky won the general election uh, handedly, and, and, the, and the primary is a little bit different story. They're, they came within, I believe it was, uh, what, uh, 10 or 11 votes? 17 votes. votes. <laughs> 17 votes, yeah, yeah. Similar here crazy. in Montgomery. really – no, go ahead. It was a similar situation here in Montgomery County. Mark Elrich, our county executive now in Montgomery, faced off with five other opponents, but the race boiled down to two top candidates. He came within 77. He beat a primary opponent by 77 votes, and it was uh, it, it was just a remarkable uh, election experience in the primary. And now, of course, we see county executive Johnny Oshesky. He's all about the state. He was at Mako conference uh, during uh, last week. I saw him there a couple of times. So he's getting his feet wet with county government. He's no stranger to it. And the opportunity, I'm sure, for you to be part of that victory was rewarding. And you can channel that into 
uh, a another positive experience. And I'm sure as you know, the young Republicans, young Democrats, those types of groups are really cultivating people into the political structure in Maryland. And I and I tell people from outside of Maryland, look, Maryland's it, it's it's a state where it's not necessary. The national the national politics often leave a, a bad taste and or a different feeling. But here in Maryland, all of us, you know, we, we see each other. We work together, the media, the press, the candidates, the organizations, the grassroots movements like yours. But it's very different. And I, I think it's a much happier place in a state like Maryland. And you can actually get something accomplished. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Oh, absolutely. About that. I mean, I think that's. Ryan, I think that's a good point, is that just looking at Baltimore County alone, uh, the county executive put forward a budget this spring which addressed a lot of very difficult issues. Unfortunately, he came into office with an $81 million deficit, uh, along with some really major structural challenges on education. There's a pretty clear need for new public high schools, and he put together a budget and worked with both Democrats and Republicans. So the final budget ultimately uh, received six votes out of seven, including the votes of two Republican members. So it really was a testament to what you're saying, that yes, there are divisions in Maryland, there are differences about what we believe in, and those are very important, but it's a little more sane in our state, in our county, (laughs) when it comes to actually getting things done. Well, for the most part, I will will agree that but Maryland can get rowdy at times. So, you know, Henry, here we are. Uh, soon you will be submitting an application. Delegate Lafferty has not officially resigned as of today. I think it's happening in September, in the beginning of September. Do you have the exact date when his resignation will take uh, effect? I, I don't. You know, I've heard rumors and speculation, but um, I believe it'll be in sometime in early September as well, before he starts his job as sustainability director and. It really is a shame that that we're losing him as a delegate, but I'm happy that he's going to be taking on a job that he's been involved in on the legislative side for all 12 years he's been in Annapolis as far as the environment and sustainability. So now he gets to implement what he's been working on from that side, and it's kind of a great capstone to a, a very successful and very impactful career. Henry, you're a young guy, and a question that's often posed at people to say, look, you, you know, you're working for a law firm now, and, so, and I think a fair question to say is, you know, why in the heck would it – you talked about public service, but why in the heck would you want to give up three or four months of your life and spend that in three grueling months in Annapolis for very little pay? And I think state delegates make what forty three thousand dollars a year, which is not a whole lot of money uh, these days. And it's like, why? Why would you want to give up a? You're not giving up a career, of course. I'm hoping that then, you know, if you're appointed, that your law firm will work with you to to be able to to manage that dual schedule as a state delegate. But I think I ask anybody, it's like, why do you even want to get into all this? <laughs> I think that's the central question, right? And for me, it's. I kind of go back to my, I'm a history buff, Ryan, and and my wife would call me a history nerd, but either way, my favorite president's Theodore Roosevelt. And he said something along the lines of, you got to be the the person in the arena. And for me, it's, I care a lot about these issues that affect our community, whether it's 
the environment and how climate change is going to impact my life, my future children's lives, the issues about education that I talked about a little bit before. I mean, these are going to have a major impact, and it just didn't feel right. There's this opportunity to get more involved, and it didn't feel right to sit on the sidelines while these major issues are not being not being fully addressed. I mean, I think we've taken major steps in Maryland in the right direction, but more work needs to be done, and I want to be on the front lines for getting it done. That's not to say you can't be involved in other ways. I think journalism is one major one, uh, nonprofit work, community work, but I, I believe this is a unique opportunity at a very important time to make a difference, and that's why I'm applying for Delegate Lafferty's uh, position. Being in the arena is where people want to be. They, they want to be able to affect change at sometimes not necessarily at a rapid pace, but incrementally. And in order to be part of that, you have to be up in it. And I know that from my experience, people said, well, Ryan, do you want to go? Do you want to cover politics? Then fine, go to Annapolis. And I said, okay, I'll go to Annapolis. And I went and for the first time I covered politics and trying to grow my my media outlet uh, as best as I can. And so here you are. So I want to get in a little bit about the district itself. And then, Henry, let's talk some policy. Henry, tell me a little bit about District 42A, uh, geographical boundaries, a little bit about the people, perhaps some some tidbits about um, some commerce issues. What are the issues directly affecting the specific district? And then we'll jump into policy. Yeah, 42A, which is part of the bigger District 42, covers most of Towson. So it goes from the city line up to uh, 695 in the north and then goes kind of out towards West Towson and then out towards um, like the Lock Raven Village, Hillendale area to the east, if people are familiar with that. So it's basically the Towson, the majority of Towson. And the community itself, it's really interesting area you have a unique combination of these kind of idyllic suburban neighborhoods, including Campus Hills, where I live in, but you've also got Towson University, and you've got the student population there. You have downtown Towson, which is rapidly growing into kind of an urban core, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a really great community. I've been very involved in it since we moved here, and it's exciting to see the, the changes in our, my neighborhood. Uh, it, it was built in the 50s, and you're seeing a lot of the older residents uh, moving out and a lot of newer families, including my own, moving in. And it's exciting to be part of that that change, but also to spend time chatting with the older neighbors who remember when the Baltimore Colts players used to live around the corner or when the bowling alley was owned by Johanny Unitas, and that's it's a great combination of things. In terms of – you mentioned commerce. Towson University – and President uh, Kim Schatzel has done an excellent job of turning a, uh, a college that I think for a very long time was a local school into really a regional powerhouse, and they're doing a lot of great things there, uh, and they're really helping to drive the growth in Towson. We also face around challenges, though, of how do you balance development and growth with preserving open space and uh, working with the communities themselves, and that's a challenge, and it's one that uh, I think on a local level is going to be determinative of where we move as a community. Are we going to be a community that can balance 
environmental concerns and community concerns with economic concerns, or is it going to go one way or the other? So I'm excited to see that, though, because it's a growing area. And I think Delegate Lafferty has done a great job of ensuring that it receives strong representation in Annapolis on schools and uh, ensuring that, that the environmental concerns a lot of residents, including myself, have are, are well addressed. Henry, you're a Democrat, and the state itself is, uh, by registration alone, is considered to be overwhelmingly Democratic. However, we have a Republican governor, and Maryland, I would I would say fairly that it's a it's more of a purple state. And as we know that some of the bedroom communities around uh, our major cities, including Baltimore City, Towson, Towson is not a uh, a hardcore progressive bastion, and, and neither would be portions of PG County down where I live in the near the metro DC area. Now, in portions of Montgomery, it, it's it's it can be very progressive, but Maryland is a is a unique state. The Eastern Shore is very conservative. Western Maryland, where I grew up, in Hagerstown, is certainly conservative, and places like Howard County, I think, are trending more Democratic, and uh, but. The state, I, I would think fairly is to say, is a, is a purple state. And how do you fit into this partisan mix, Henry? Are you a, on the scale of being a, a progressive Democrat or a moderate? How would you classify yourself? Oh, well, Ryan, I guess I'd, I'd say I'm a, I like to think of myself as a common sense progressive. I do believe very strongly in the values of the Democratic Party. But I also think that we have to understand that, like you said, not everybody is is on our side all the time. And I can speak to that as a, as a husband of a, of a registered Republican who my wife is very moderate and, and, and quite socially liberal, but we have these dinner table conversations about local and state government, and we do disagree from time to time. And so while I do find myself in the Democratic Party, like you said, and I believe strongly in its values, especially those of just uh, basic fairness and economic opportunity for everybody, at the same time, I understand that we have to be willing to work across party lines. We have to be willing to understand that uh, we need to find solutions that make the most sense, even if they're not solutions that we came up with. They might be Republican solutions, but if they work and they deliver results, we should embrace them. And uh, I'll, I'll just say that it's been a pleasure as a community association president working with the councilman from our district who's a Republican. And we don't always agree. There are decisions he's made that I disagree with, but still, we can work together to deliver results for our community. And so, again, I'm a progressive at heart, but I'm also willing to to find common ground to move our state forward. That's what I would do if I was a delegate in Annapolis. Henry, you had a huge endorsement last week when you first announced that you were running or submitting your name, rather, to the Baltimore County Democratic Central Committee. Our state's comptroller, Peter Francho, who, of course, needs no introduction and has been a guest on this show several times and made some news himself last week when he announced that he was considering a 2022 gubernatorial bid. Comptroller Francho endorsed your campaign and said that you were uh, would be a, a great addition to the Maryland House of Delegates, of which comptroller was a former member of. Um, Tell me about that. What was that like for you, having that endorsement? It, it was very exciting, and I, I didn't necessarily expect it, uh, certainly as quickly as it happened, but it was very exciting, Ryan. And, you know, the Comptroller and I 
we don't agree on everything. I, I have my differences with him on some important issues. But at the same time, what I do like about him is he tells you what he believes and doesn't hold back from it. And he's made his fair share of, of enemies. And uh, I can understand why in some cases, but at the same time, here's a, here's a man who is taken bold stances when he believes in them. And that I think is something which people find refreshing. And again, I'm, if I, if I'm lucky enough to be appointed to the house of delegates and if, Comptroller Franchot would be elected governor. I'm sure there'd be times when I wouldn't vote his way, but we'd be able to work together, I'm confident, to deliver results. Like I said, on education, for instance, I think his advocacy for uh, new school construction funding, that's kind of that common sense progressive approach to there's a problem. It can't be solved at the local level. We need more state funding, Baltimore County does, to build a new Towson High School, a new Delaney High School. And that's an area where I think we'd be able to work together to deliver results. Certainly an area, of course, education has been front and center. And I, you know, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned where you agree and disagree with the, the comptroller. It's going to be an interesting race. And, you know, the comptroller does like to talk about machine politics. And that's something that uh, anybody who has ever spent any time in Annapolis, um, (laughs) <laughs> they understand that oftentimes there is a feeling that the the wheels turn, and when leadership gives a issues a dictum to its members, uh, they fall in line. And Henry, would you be willing to say that you would be an independent of uh, would you be independent style Democrat, meaning that you you know what? Yes, you're a Democrat, of course, and many of the priorities that the party will champion, you will. Um, happily go along with support and vote for and sustain and champion yourself. But then would you be willing to, to, to stake out your own independent streak in the house of delegates? Well, Ryan, I'll put it very simply. I'm going to work to do what is best for my district. And I think as delegate Lafferty has shown most of the time, whether it's on, like we talked about school funding or, or on the environment or on healthcare that aligns with the leadership. But if there are times where there's a clear break between what I think is best for the people in Towson and central Baltimore County and what the leadership saying, I'm going to vote for the best interests of my, my district. And I think that's right. something which should be the status quo and the norm. I, again, haven't been in Annapolis and haven't seen how that plays out in, in, in person. So it'll be very interesting to see, but my work is going to be for the people of my district. Fair enough. When you get before the central committee members and they, they're going to, I, I would, I would guess that they would likely ask you the types of committees that you would like to be placed on by the speaker. And what is it that you plan to do as a state delegate? What issues that you're going to push that you are going to advocate for? And every state delegate has, Three or four. That's why they get into this job. That there's their top issues, most important to them, most fundamental to who they are. What are those issues for you, Henry? Yeah, the the top two issues for me are education and the environment. And I've kind of been repeating myself a little bit here, but I think it's these are the two crucial issues. As a young person, they impact my generation and the next generation very, very directly. For education, my number one priority is get 
school construction funding passed through the House and the Senate. It made it through the House last year. It didn't make it through the Senate. I'm going to work my butt off to get a school construction bill passed this year that ensures that we get a new Lansdowne, Delaney, and Towson High School. Uh, we get that process going as soon as possible. Uh, on the environment, I strongly support the Clean Energy Jobs Act, and I'd like to see us go further because we can't afford to wait while climate change has a humongous impact on our environment, but also on the future of our economy. And the Clean Energy Jobs Act not only helps our environment, but it also helps make Maryland a leader in creating clean, green jobs of the future. And that's something which I want to see expanded upon. Uh, so those are the two biggest issues for me, Ryan. But, but in addition to that, I think, uh, again, healthcare working to make sure that prescription drugs are more affordable in the state of Maryland uh, and working to, as I mentioned earlier, working with the city delegation to address the challenges facing Baltimore City because we're right next door and our, our fates are tied together. If Baltimore City struggles, the county won't be able to live up to its full potential. And if the city thrives, then Baltimore County will be all the better for it. So those are my top priorities. Of course, the Clean Energy Job Act, it was a huge victory for clean energy and climate policy in Maryland this past legislative session. And then on April the 8th this year, the General Assembly did give final approval to the Clean Energy Jobs Act. Uh, both House and Chamber, or rather both House and Senate, they provided huge veto-proof margins, and the legislation will transform the way that electricity is used, solar power, and it's moving Maryland towards more of a renewable energy future. In fact, 100% renewable ener energy future that creates jobs for renewable energy, clean energy, um, and it was a huge piece of legislation. I would go as far as to say that this was one of the biggest piece of legislations that came out of the 2019 legislative session. It was a huge win, and it's going to be interesting to see how it's implemented. And I believe the governor Pock. I, I, I think I don't think he signed it, so he that that just means in Maryland that uh, they they let it go into law. And so the goal, of course, is to achieve 100% clean energy by 2040. And the bill also increases the statewide renewable electricity standard to 50%. An issue that I covered, um, and I had there, I, um, I, I had some of the folks from the the Chesapeake um, Action Fund on the show, the CCAN Action Fund, and so it was it was it was fascinating. And it's interesting that you say that. And um, another, I, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna take off too. And watching the implementation is going to be something that journalists around the state can. Can certainly cover. Now, you mentioned education, Henry. You know in Baltimore County that the Delaney High School, the air conditioning situation, that got a lot of coverage, got a lot of press coverage. It was an emotional issue. Kids going out without – kids going to schools without adequate air conditioning. How is that even a possibility? How can kids learn in that type of environment? And that was a big issue for the former county executive who has since passed away, sadly, in um, May of 2018 in the middle of a gubernatorial election. But Henry, tell us a little bit about that issue. Break that, break that down. What happened with that, and how can we rectify that at the state? 
Sure. I mean, I think the, the challenges that Baltimore County has faced, I'm actually going to paraphrase Councilman Izzy Patoka, who uh, is, I believe, the fourth led, or, uh, councilman district. He said recently that when Baltimore County looks at itself in the mirror, it sees a 200,000 person, fairly sleepy, suburban, and rural county. But the reality is that we're close to 900,000 people an increasingly diverse and increasingly urban-esque community with areas like Towson, but also on the west side where you have very, very rapidly developing areas like Owings Mills and Reisterstown. And to get back to your original question, Ryan, I think that we are now with the current county executive seeing the county take action that will address the challenges that you've talked about. And the state, additionally, I think needs to play an important role as well in understanding that our budget is stretched thin and we need more resources from the state to finish the work that uh, the county executive candidates administration began and the work that John L. Shefsky's administration is continuing. Uh, I will fight for that funding and make sure that we are able to make sure that there's a new Delaney high school. There's a new Towson high school that Lansdowne High School, which is literally sinking into the ground, is also addressed, that the overcrowding and uh, lackluster facilities at some of these schools, that that's something of the past, because every child should be learning in a world-class environment, and for too long in Baltimore County, that was not always the case. Yeah. Um, let me jump to another issue, one that we haven't really discussed too much on the show, and one that I'm going to get into a lot more often. You're from You're from Baltimore County. My wife, this is a big issue for her. She grew up in Reisterstown. What are your thoughts on keeping Pimlico at where it's at in Baltimore? I, growing up in the city, I went to the Preakness a lot with uh, with my dad and with keeping Preakness. Uh, I'm my, sorry, my, my best friend. Yeah, no, I I, I got you. But going to the Preakness, it, it's a Baltimore tradition. But I think that it's it's a really difficult issue because again, unfortunately, the company that has been in charge of it has pretty clearly been taking resources that were meant for Pimlico and sending them to the racetrack uh, in Laurel. And I'm concerned about the previous leaving. And I think it's an important issue for Baltimore County as well, because a large number of the folks who go over here, Baltimore County residents, and it affects our whole region, like I said. And, and, and if the previous leaves, that's a pretty bad sign. So I think it's important not only to work with the ownership to keep the Preakness in Baltimore, but also to work with the city and, and the city delegation to address the concerns and, and the challenges surrounding Pimlico that make it a less attractive location for people to drive down to, you know, on, on a non-Preakness uh, day to, to watch the races. So it's, it's a big challenge but it's one that I think we can solve. I mean, I think we're creative enough as a state to do that. Fair enough. Um, my, my wife would be halfway satisfied with that answer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a big keep, keep Preakness in Baltimore, uh, yellow bumper or not a bumper sticker, but a button, so to speak on our refrigerator that was given to her by, of course, famed Annapolis lobbyist, Bruce Barriano when we went down to, Talls this year, so that was a big deal. And for her, I'd love to get one of those buttons. 
<laughs> well, I think Bruce Barriano, if you call him up, I'm sure he could send you one, and, I'm, <laughs> and he would be he would be happy to do it. Uh, Henry, you know, another issue that came before a session um, this past uh, this past legislative session, of course, the the Kerwin Commission. You talked about education. Mm-hmm. The governor just gave a big speech at Mako. I attended it the last day, traditional speech where governors un- unveil their policy, uh, maybe a policy position in that speech. The governor vowed that he will not raise taxes in order to pay for Kerwin's recommendations, which is hovering around $3.8 billion. And of course, when I, when I talk about Kerwin, I'm talking about Rick Kerwin, who is the former university system of Maryland chancellor, and they, he headed a commission on improving and funding Maryland public schools. And this past session – there was legislation that moved to bring some of the commission's initial recommendations to fruition and more will follow. And as Kerwin, as the commission continues to meet, there is this discussion that how is counties, how are counties going to be able to pay for this? How are these local governments, county governments going to be saddled with the cost of Kerwin's massive price tag? How would you stand on that? What would be your ideas for funding? And what can we do, and how would you tell your constituents how you would pay for this? It's a great question, Ryan, because like you said, it, it's to me at least two major competing interests, which is how do we take care of the next generation of Marylanders and make sure they have the best schools possible? And quite frankly, we should have the best schools in the country, and that should be our goal, bar none, but at the same time paying for it. Now, what I would say is the first step is we should, and I will, look at the state budget. We should go through it line by line and uh, work to find any sort of waste, any sort of programs that have run their course or that can be better addressed in other ways and say that needs to be cut in order to afford these crucial investments. Uh, I think revenue increases should be a last resort, but at the same time, I'm not willing to say to the next generation of Marylanders, sorry, but I'm not willing to pay a little bit more and you can look at revenue, you know, looking at the tobacco tax, looking at tax increases that might not affect the vast majority of Marylanders. I don't want to increase taxes. But at the same time, I also am unwilling to say to the next generation, you guys aren't going to get better schools because I'm not willing to pay a little bit more. It's a tough conversation to have. But in Baltimore County, we just had it. Uh, the county just raised income taxes for the first time in uh, close to 30 years. And we were able to get a bipartisan majority to support that because at the same time, the administration uh, was able to find a huge amount of savings in the budget by cutting out that waste and that redundancy. So it's got to be a comprehensive approach, but I I strongly believe that we have to invest in education, and Kerwin takes a big step forward in that respect. Uh, Interesting response um, that from from – from all types of lawmakers and uh, county officials during Mako, Henry, the big idea, the the really what the big takeaway for Mako is, is that counties, how how are counties going to be able to to meet the demands of these recommendations? And you talked just now about that, and that's an issue I think that's going to really drive into the 2020 
legislative session. That's going to be on the top of everybody's mind. And it's going to be it's going to be a classic political fight. Right. I mean, you we we can talk about having the greatest schools, but we have to be able to measure what we are spending money on to ensure that that's going to be the case. And there's there's a fiscal there's a fiscal note or a fiscal responsibility, I should say, that how do we know that these recommendations, um, how can we quantify it? How can we truly get down into the nitty gritty and look at every line item to quantify this spending? That, this is going to be an age old fight uh, come January of, of next year, and it's going to be fun to watch, but it's also going to be interesting to see how lawmakers react to what their constituents say. And I think that's going to be one of the top issues on Maryland's ta- on Maryland taxpayers' minds is when they go back into session, they're going to take their concerns, uh, their constituents' concerns back to the General Assembly. And you're going to see – I think you're going to see some interesting floor discussions on, on Kerwin recommendations. I really do. I, I think it's going to be Ryan. the defining issue. I, I think it is, and I think it should be. It should be. And I think as Democrats, we have to be willing to be honest with ourselves and look at the budget and say, if there's a program or if there is a policy that was enacted years ago and it's run its course or it's simply not doing what it was supposed to do, we have to be willing to say that's not worth it. That's not worth investing in because we do know what is. And I agree with you. It's very important that we stay on top of the metrics and the methods by which we calculate success and that we make sure that the policies we're implementing have worked elsewhere in other states uh, and have brought in the results. Because like you said, these are the taxpayers' dollars, and these are the, uh, the people who go to work every day in our state. This is what they're having to pay for, and we have to be able to go back to those those voters and say, we did everything in our power possible to squeeze every penny to fund these programs. Because I think as we've seen in the past, sometimes when Democrats don't do that, uh, voters are reasonably unhappy. So we've got to be honest. We have to be straightforward and we have to make tough decisions because that's quite frankly, what if I'm lucky enough to be appointed that's going to be my job is to make the tough choices. It's not supposed to be a cushy vacation. It's supposed to be a challenging responsibility. Sure. And I wanted to bring up another issue. There was a couple issues that I think might be on the docket for next year's legislative session. And I also think that there was an interesting issue that failed Basically, in the Senate, the state Senate, because of one PG County legislature, legislator, Senator uh, Obi Patterson, the medical, the aid and dying legislation, the death with dignity legislation, however you want to phrase it. Henry, where would you fall mm-hmm. on that? I support it. You I support, support it? it? I do. Um, and then right now we have a commission that is studying marijuana legalization and – and I think that's a per, it's, it's, it's one of those big first important steps in talking about the path to legalization. I believe seven or eight states now are have legalized recreational marijuana, whereas it's still illegal at the federal level, but you can buy it. Of course, in D.C. they had Initiative 71 where you can you can't sell it, but you can gift it, and companies going to get a way around it. You can grow it, you can gift it. There's a certain amount, but 
where would you come down on that? I, I know that you, you might want to wait until the the commission produces its, its results, but do you have a broad scope or do you have a, a policy idea of where you would come down on legalization of recreational marijuana in the state of Maryland? Yeah, I, I think without knowing what the report says, obviously that would make a big determination, but my gut tells me that when you look at the states that have legalized it, there's been kind of a mixed bag. In some states, it's it's had very positive results. In other states, it hasn't necessarily. And I think that gets to the core point here is I think it's worth legalizing if we do it right because mm-hmm. I can tell you right now there is not a lot of impediment to people in our state getting access to marijuana. I mean the the, the prohibition of it hasn't worked, but it has led to – a generation of young African-American and Hispanic men predominantly uh, getting criminal records. And that's had a huge impact on things like poverty and a whole slew of other issues. I think the response is clearly prohibition hasn't worked, but if the alternative is legalization, we have to make sure we do it right. So I think looking at what other states do, and like I said on education, making sure that if we do something, we don't just do it randomly. So I do support it. But it's got to be done the right way, and we have to make sure that it's done in a way which is recognizing of the fact that you can pretty much get it le- you know, illegally today if you really want to, uh, but it's had a very neg- – the, the, the criminalization of it's had a hugely negative impact for a lot of people in, in a very unfair way. So that's – my gut tells me let's, let's do it, but at the same time, let's do it right. Henry, what are your thoughts on the, the new prescription? Drug Board affordability panel that they created? I think it's a good start because we've all heard the stories of people not being able to afford insulin or not being able to afford their prescription drugs and in some cases dying. I mean, as a young person, I think what's really scary is the prospect of having to choose between things like healthcare costs and retirement or investing and saving for. Um, my future child education. Uh, these are challenges that are really, really intensely felt by every generation. But looking at it from my perspective as a young person, it paints a very bleak future. And so the Prescription Drug Board is a start towards how do we bring these costs under control? I don't know, quite frankly, if that can be done at a state level. I think it needs to be done on a federal level. And unfortunately, the current Congress and current president are not going to address it, or at least the current Senate uh, and the current president. But something has to be done, and so this prescription drug board is a, is a good start. So when the Central Committee asks you uh, – and they may ask you this or they may not, but I, I assume they might ask you what, what committees would you like to be appointed to? What would you tell them? Sure. I mean, I think environment and transportation with its uh, its focus on the issues that I, that I talked about before on the environment, obviously, are big ones. And also uh, public transportation and infrastructure on road spending is a big issue in Baltimore County as well. We're, we're mostly a county that commutes. And so uh, state highway spending has a big impact. That'd be one committee. As an attorney, judiciary is obviously one sure. which there's some overlap there, and, and uh, but really my goal would be whatever committee I ended up on would be to 
really focus on the, the core issues and how that committee's jurisdiction impacts Towson and central Baltimore County. Uh, because to me, that's, that's the focus. Um, and, and I'm going to dive headfirst into the work, regardless of the committee, but I think probably number one would be uh, environment and transportation. Henry, when the Central Committee asks you to tell you to tell them about your leadership, maybe they'll ask you about impact dolls. You, you're going to have people working under you as 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 part of the the, the House of Delegates. You, you're going to have a small staff. What kind of boss would you be? I would hope to think I'd be a good one, <laughs> but my approach is generally <laughs> I, I'm I'm a collaborative person. I like to work with people and bounce ideas off them. And one thing that, that I remember my grandpa told me this, and it's kind of cliche, but I think it, it's something that a lot of bosses don't necessarily live by is you've got to treat the janitor with the same respect as you treat the CEO. And I think that I would be the kind of boss who would be mindful of that and mindful of the fact that, yeah, I might have the delegate title, but the important thing is the work. And if the person answering the phones doesn't want to be there because their boss is you know, abusive or harassing, then you're not doing the work for the people. It's not getting done as well as it could be. So I'd like to say that I'd be the kind of boss who would work well with my staff and be collaborative and listen to their ideas about what I could be doing better or what the house could be doing better. Because just because I, I have the title doesn't make me any more important, at least in my mind. Well, fair enough. I think some big topics are going to head before the the, the committee, uh, or rather the General Assembly next year. I think guns are going to still be uh, the, the gun issue, of course. That's not going to go away. Uh, the, the the marijuana issue that we talked about, there's there's going to be some, some big economic issues that are going to appear before the General Assembly. Next session is going to be interesting to watch, of course. Um, so, Henry, finally, as we finish the last two minutes of this interview, why do you want the gig? What's your final pitch to the Central Committee? Sure. So I believe that I can continue the work that Delegate Lafferty has in Annapolis. My experience both in the political sphere but also as an attorney prepares me to do that. As a community association president as well, I'm prepared to hit the ground running from day one. There's not going to be an orientation for two new delegates. It's going to be here, get to work. And I believe I can do that uh, better than any other potential candidate, quite frankly, right now. And in addition to that, I bring the fact that I'm, I'll be 28 years old if appointed and bring the energy and passion uh, and, and, quite frankly, the new perspective as a young Democrat to Annapolis, which I think is a unique combination of experience but also youth and energy. And I'm excited to continue the work Delegate Lafferty has done and expand on it. And that's why I'm applying. Well, that certainly covers it, and you were succinct, and the art of brevity is a wonderful thing when we do podcasts and radio interviews. Henry, I sincerely appreciate you coming on, you making the time to spend with me on a Sunday evening to talk about your your journey throughout this process. I hope you keep me abreast of what happens, and I'm going to be excited to see um, the other candidates who enter um, I really appreciate your depth of and knowledge of these big statewide issues, and that's going to be important when you go in and you have this discussion with the committee that makes the decision on whom to replace Delegate Lafferty with. So I sincerely appreciate your time and the opportunity to talk to you, 
and I am I'm excited to see where all of this lands. But uh, I want to wish you the best of luck moving forward, and uh, I hope you come back again on the show. Well, thank you, Ryan. I appreciate the time and the chance to speak with you and share my my vision and why I'm applying for this job. And I'd be more than happy to, uh, if if appointed, to come back on during the session maybe and talk about the big issues going on if I'm lucky enough to be down there. Henry Caligari of District 42A, thank you so much for coming on, and I hope you have a great week. You too, Ryan. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right. That was Henry Caligari. Of, he's running, submitting an application, running, same thing, District 42A for the legislative vacancy that will soon be filled by the Baltimore County Democratic Central Committee. They will then pick one candidate and forward that name to the governor, or who knows? They could pick two or three. You never know. It's typically one name. They forward to the governor. The government has the constitutional authority, the power to appoint that person to the Maryland House of Delegates, the Maryland General Assembly, and they become the next state delegate. The process is pretty simple, and tonight we had on Henry Caligari, who is seeking that opportunity. My name is Ryan Miner. You can find me on the web at aminerdetail.com. I write about news and politics, and sometimes I write some fun and blistering editorials. I do the podcast for these long-form interviews, and it's really worked out. It's a lot of fun. We can get a lot of content out of it. So continue to listen. Find me on iTunes. Find me on any podcast application. Uh, and then find me on the website, a minor detail podcast.com. And if you want to sponsor a minor detail podcast, I would love that. That's always uh, the number one thing on my mind is growing the podcast, getting it in front of many Marylanders as possible, and having a alternative media form format for anybody who's willing to listen and learn about these important big statewide issues. I love politics. Everybody knows that, and I like to talk about it. I like to bring on people to talk about politics. What's more fun than that? Well, probably a lot of things for many people, but for me, that's what I love to do. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and I hope you have a great and happy week. You can subscribe to a Minor Detail podcast on iTunes, CastBox, Overcast, or any application where you listen to podcasts. Like a Minor Detail podcast on Facebook, and follow the conversation on Twitter at AMD Podcast. If you or someone you know is interested in sponsoring a Minor Detail Podcast, please reach out to me at ryan at a minor detail.com. Thanks so much for listening.